Good morning. My name is Stuart Davidson. I'm the pastor here at Eastern Shore Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. You can learn more about our church by visiting our website, www.myesbc.net. Of course, if you would like to visit us on a Sunday morning, you'll see that we have life group classes or Sunday school classes that start at 9 a.m. And our service starts every Sunday at 1010 a.m. Come by and see us. God bless you. And I hope that you are motivated to look more like Jesus through today's podcast. That's the story of Christmas right there. Emmanuel, God with us, not God far away, not God from a distance, but God right next to us. Uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses predicted that the world would end in 1914. Thankfully, we're still here. That's good news, right? If you remember years ago, back in the early 80s, TV evangelist and former Republican presidential candidate Pat Robertson is known for predicting. He said these words, I guarantee by the end of 1982, there is going to be judgment on this world followed by Armageddon and years of suffering. And thankfully that prediction did not come true either. In 1984, now this is one that I actually do remember. In 1984, there was a computer that predicted that all-out chaos would break loose on January 1 of the year 2000. Do you remember that? That all the computers would be somehow reset and that the power grids would fail and planes would fall out of the sky and terrible things uh, would occur and take place. Uh, it was called Y2K. Do you remember that? I actually do remember being over at my brother's house. Uh, my wife and I were together and, and we were celebrating, ringing in the new year, uh, transitioning from 1999 to 2000. And no kidding, this actually happened. As soon as the ball dropped and hit uh, the time when all of a sudden everything moved over, the power went out in my brother's house. It actually happened. It's a true story. Thankfully, it did come back on. Uh, in December of 2012, which, by the way, was the end of the Mayan calendar, scholars believe that, yet again, the world would end. It's funny that the Mayans would be able to predict the end of the world, but not predict the end of their entire civilization. And there was a movie uh, about the end of the world creatively entitled 2012, if you remember that movie. Uh, and by the way, I'm not telling you these predictions to uh, heighten your awareness about our impending doom or to discredit the predictions as a hoax. I'm proving the point that people love predicting. People love predicting. We love predicting economic growth. We love predicting stocks and sports and weather and yes, even the end of the world. Uh, just the other day, my wife and I, we were excited. We were watching NBC News and NBC News got a new weatherman. Did you see that report? Alan Seals is going to be back on TV, one of my favorite weather guys. We always glued our eyes to the TV to watch Alan Seals predict the weather. And yet, even though we like to make predictions, perhaps the greatest non-prediction but prophecy was made some 700 years before Christ was ever born, before he ever arrived. Isaiah made numerous promises 
about a coming Messiah, and the Old Testament claimed nearly 400 prophecies, all of which Jesus fulfilled. Isaiah talked about his birth and some 400 other prophecies in the Bible all about Jesus' life, and yet he fulfilled them all. What an amazing thing. This morning, I want to ask you a very simple question. Are you punished by the past? Friend, are you living in the wake of past failures? Are you under the tide of long ago mistakes and they weigh you down? Are you preoccupied in the present? I was praying this morning uh, with the staff that makes this worship service actually occur. And uh, as I was praying, I made the comment that during the Christmas season, one of the things that we focus least on is Christ. We get so preoccupied by the decorations. We get so preoccupied by the Black Friday events and by the Cyber Monday events. We get so preoccupied by trying to buy presents for other people and ourselves that many times we somehow let it slip by that Christmas is not just a gift-giving venture, but it is really about telling the story, the narrative of Jesus Christ coming to earth to save men and women from their souls by dying on the cross for them. It all started in a manger. So are you punished by the past, preoccupied in the present, or are you looking forward to the future? Oh, friends, Isaiah lived in a horrific time to live. It was a brutal time. And Isaiah was looking forward to the future of a Messiah that he would never know as long as he was alive here on planet Earth. Sadly, Isaiah would never lock eyes uh, with Jesus in the same way that Peter did or the way that John did. And yet Isaiah was so looking forward to this coming Messiah that would not only save his people, but would also save humanity's soul. And so Isaiah was looking forward to a future Messiah as well as relief from his present circumstances. Again, if you want to, you can open up your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7, and this morning reading from the NIV. It says this, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called, listen to all these great adjectives, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And the increase of his government and the peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. What a beautiful piece of scripture. What a phenomenal piece of prophecy. So this morning, what did Isaiah prophesy about this future Messiah? Of course, we know Jesus by looking backwards in the past. And yet Isaiah knew Jesus, not by name, but knew of the coming Messiah by looking forward to the future. So let's talk about these things. Roman numeral one, Isaiah prophesied presence. Isaiah prophesied presence 
presence. Again, in verse 6, for unto us a child is born. For us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. If you want to, again, follow along. Letter A, God's presence is personal. For unto us a child is born. This was going to be a fantastic present that is given to all mankind. And Jesus would experience human birth. He, as he was born, he would hear the screams of his mother Mary and smell the manger filled with animals. He would feel the touch of his stepfather Joseph and feel the comfort of the swaddling clothes. His human birth would mean that he has now all of the access to what it means to be a, a person, a human, a human being. He would understand fully what it means. He would fully realize every emotion, every battle with temptation. He would understand the lows of, de of depression and understand the thrill of joy. He'd be burdened with sorrow. He'd be betrayed, abandoned, scorned, and maligned. Jesus would also finish his life tortured on a cross filled with shame and wrath. He would then be buried. Jesus' life, his human existence, models our own lives. From the moment that he took his very first breath of earthly air to the moment when he said, it is finished, and he was buried in a grave. That's what it is to be human. And Jesus understood it all. There's nothing that we have felt or dealt with that Jesus cannot fully comprehend as a human being. His life is in, intertwined with ours and he's personally connected to all of humanity. For unto us a child is born. Isn't it great, by the way, that Isaiah doesn't say for unto those guys that a child is born? Uh, unto those folks? No, he says unto us. And he's not talking about his Israelite identity. He's talking about what it means to be a human. For unto us. A child is born. Letter B would say this, that God's presence is a present. And we are going to give lots of presents over the next few weeks. We're going to be talking about presents and you're going to be shopping for presents. And yet I would tell you that the greatest present that's ever been gifted to, to humanity, of course, is Jesus Christ, born in a manger the birth of Christ is a gift to humanity. The scripture even indicates that his birth was given. It was given to us. Well, friend, you only give gifts. And yet, when you think about this gift, we have to understand that Jesus' gift is not something that we earned. And many of you have, have children and grandchildren and you'll buy them Christmas gifts in, during this Christmas season. You'll buy them things that maybe they weren't even expecting to get. And notice that your children and your grandchildren didn't get those gifts because of their merit. You gave those gifts to them because you loved them. I can remember a story about Angela's uncle. Uncle Mike is what we always call them. Mike Rawls. And Mike is a bit of a card. He's a bit of a pistol, as they say. And early in his childhood, his parents, Angela's grandparents, began to ask Mike, Mike, what do you want for Christmas? What do you want for Christmas? 
And Mike, because again, he was a bit of a, he was a bit of a handle, he kept telling his parents, you know what, all I want is a dozen donuts for Christmas. And, and so days would go by, and, and Mike's parents, Angela's grandparents, kept asking, now Mike, what do you want for Christmas? We're trying to buy everybody a, a good Christmas present, what do you want? And Mike kept saying, you know what, I just want a, do- I want a box of a dozen donuts for Christmas. And so do you know what happened on that fateful day, December 25th, years ago, Mike sat around the Christmas tree and his siblings, uh, which would be my mother-in-law and and Uncle Jim, they were all opening presents from their parents. And do you know, Mike had a box and it was long and it was thin and it was shaped sort of like this. And Mike tore into that present and do you know what he got? A box of a dozen donuts. And folks, that's all he got was a box of a dozen donuts. Oh, friends, aren't you glad that God is not like that? That sometimes God gives us the things that we don't even know that we need. And I'll tell you this, very few people were looking for salvation in Isaiah's day. Very few people were looking for a Messiah. And yet God gave them exactly what they needed at a time when they weren't really even expecting it. And he gave it to us in such a perfect way. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't come as a king? We can't identify with a king. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't come as like a rocket scientist? We can't identify with that. But Jesus came as a peasant. And Jesus came born uh, to a stone worker. He came born uh, to someone that, uh, that, that you would never expect the king of kings and the lord of lords to be born to. Oh, friends, his presence is a present. Look at this next one. God's presence brings progression. Look at what the scripture says. And the government will be on his shoulders. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. I want to remind you again that Isaiah lived in a brutal time. Israel was, at the time of this scripture, was being ruled by the bloodthirsty and faithless King Ahaz. If you ever open up the Bible and begin to read about King Ahaz, you'll realize that Ahaz was one of the worst products that humanity has ever produced. He was a horrible, bloodthirsty king. And yet, his country was conquered by the Assyrians and darkness had totally engulfed the land. There was very little hope going around in Isaiah's day. And yet, he spoke of a child, this gift, who would bear the weight of the government on his shoulders. However, it would not be a earthly governmental system. Of course, we now know this, but yet it would be a heavenly reign, a heavenly government that would never end, a new government, a new kingdom. And this child would help progress from darkness into light. His presence would be personal. It would be a gift and will lead men from darkness into illumination. Oh, friends, Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2 tells us the people walking in darkness have seen a great what? Light. They've seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. 
And Isaiah was so excited about this potential future that he was prophesying about. Not only would Jesus set them free from this earthly reign, but we could look forward to a heavenly justice system where Jesus would wave the flag for justice like no one else. There would be no more travesties, no more miscarriages of justice in Jesus' kingdom because Jesus will always rule rightly. Jesus can't be bought off. He can't be bribed. He can't be paid for. Jesus would always do and will always do what is correct and right. So friends, this morning, Isaiah prophesied presence, but Roman numeral two, he also prophesied power that this new king, in this new kingdom, he would be powerful. Again, go back to verse 6 of Isaiah chapter 9. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Mighty God. So this morning, why is Jesus the Wonderful Counselor? Well, I believe that Jesus is the Wonderful Counselor because Jesus is intimate He intimately knows every need that we have. He intimately can speak into every concern that we have as human beings. He knows our problems, he recognizes our needs, and he witnesses our desires. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, let's read the words of Jesus together. And when you pray... Do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ever ask. Your Father knows what you need before you ever ask. And friends, this came to light for me as a, as a father. When I began to have children, when, I, when Angela and I embarked on this idea of, of creating a family, there are certain things that my children needed that they didn't know that they needed at the time. Now, they weren't able to communicate in their infancy that I need food. They weren't able to say, Dad, Dad, oh Dad, my diaper is dirty. Would you please change it? No, no, no. As a matter of fact, when they hit around four years old, They didn't just hop on their bike and ride it on down the street. No, they needed someone to help them with that. And and yet God is even better than this sad sack of an earthly dad. And God knows what we need before we ever even echo it in prayer. Isn't that a great thing? And that God loves you so much more than even the best of earthly fathers. And he gives you what you need even before the best of earthly fathers could even comprehend. Oh, Jesus loves you. Not only is he intimate, which makes him a great counselor, but he is also infinite. He is infinite. He sees perfectly in the past. He dwells perfectly in the present. And he knows the future before the future ever happens. In Psalm 90, verse 2, Listen to what the psalmist writes. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth from the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now now see, that makes a wonderful qualification for a wonderful counselor. Can you imagine going to a therapist, and that therapist knows everything that has happened to you in your past? 
that there's literally nothing that you can hide from that therapist. And imagine that therapist when you go and you begin to tell him or her your problems and that therapist quietly listens, but internally he already knows what you're going through right now. He knows uh, the, the fears that you have. He knows the depression that you've been wrestling with. He knows the struggles that you've been facing at home or at work. That therapist knows you intimately. He knows every abuse that happened to you in the past. He knows where you currently are right now. And he knows that with the right advice and with the right direction, what your potential could be in the future. Man, that is a wonderful counselor. That's the kind of counselor that I want to go to. That's the kind of counselor that I want to be a part of. We live in a world where we often seek power. We seek power in our marriages, power over our children. We seek power at work. And for some of us, we even seek power at church. And yet few of us have John's attitude of decreasing so that Jesus can increase. Oh, friends. And Jesus is wonderful because he wants to see God highlighted in your life. He wants to see the Lord maximized. Oh, Jesus is infinite. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name. And at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Jesus is the alpha, he is the omega, he is the before and he is the after. Jesus is infinite. And lastly, we also know that Jesus is uh, powerful. We see that in Psalm chapter 44, verses 6 through 8. He says, I do not trust in my own bow. My sword does not bring me victory, but you give victory over our enemies. You put our adversaries to shame. In God, we make our boast all day long, and we will praise your name forever. Oh, friends, I, I certainly pray that you will worship and love Jesus as this wonderful counselor because he's intimate, he knows us, he's infinite, he sees our lives in totality, and he gives us the best wisdom possible. Isaiah prophesied his presence. Isaiah prophesied power, but he also prophesied provision, that this God this new king and a new kingdom that he would provide for his children. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, and Everlasting Father. And Jesus will provide for us an everlasting affection. He will give us love. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3, the Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love, and I have drawn you with an, with an everlasting loving kindness. Now Jesus here, God, is speaking, of course, to the Israelites. He's speaking in that context. 
But I would say that the principles of what God is sharing with the Israelites is the same principle that he shares with us today. That God has loved you and God has loved me with an everlasting love. That he created you for a purpose. That he created you with a plan. And that God's plan is better and bigger and more profound than any plan that you could have ever dreamed up for yourself. Friends, if you walk out of this room today and this is all you hear, that Jesus Christ loves you, then I would say that's a pretty good sermon. We need to hear more that God loves us, that he has a plan for us, that Jesus died for us to save us, that he loved us with an everlasting love. He has affection for me and for you. Just last night, I was watching a football game, I was feeling rather low. And so I was sitting there and I began to look around and I saw my buddy Jet. And Jet crawled up in my lap and he said, Daddy, and I said, yes, son. And I, I just knew he was there to bring me comfort and to show his love for me. He said, Daddy. And he had just a look of love in his eyes. He said, Daddy, I'm hungry. Will you get me something to eat? <laughs> I just loved on him. But I tell you what, I love my boys. I love Jay, Jack, and Jet. And I think of, of oftentimes how, how much I love my own children. And yet, God loves me so much more and so much perfect, in, in such a perfect way than I can even love my own kids. Oh, we have a wonderful Abba. We have a wonderful Dad. And he gives us his affection. But at the same time, Jesus will provide us a wonderful affection, but he'll also provide us an everlasting agreement, a promise. In Ezekiel chapter 37, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish them and increase their numbers, and I will put my sanctuary among them forever. And then lastly, let her see, he gives us an everlasting absolution of forgiveness, of salvation. Again, Isaiah chapter 45, verse 17, but Israel will be saved by the Lord with an everlasting salvation. You will never be put to shame or disgraced to the ages everlasting. Again, that's a promise to Israel. But I believe as we are Christ's uh, family as we've been born into the community of salvation, that the promise, the principle behind that promise lands on us. That we also have an everlasting salvation. That we need no longer to fear death. We need no longer fear standing before God. Why? Because God loves us. And he sent his son Jesus to die for us. Why? So that we could be absolved of our sins. So that we could stand before him with confidence. That we can see his grace. And that we can love his mercy. Isaiah prophesied presence. The power of a coming king, the provision of a loving father, but he also prophesied peace. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince 
of peace. This morning, I want to ask you a question. What qualifies as a war? Think about that for just one second. What qualifies as a war? We've known folks who've had wars in their office. We've had folks that have had wars at home. We've had folks that have had wars at church. But what really is a war after all? War is defined as an active conflict that has claimed more than a thousand lives. That is, by definition, a war. Has the world ever been at peace? Of the past 3,400 years, humans have been entirely at peace for 288 of those years, or just a paltry 8% of recorded history. 8% of recorded history, our world has known peace. I began to wonder how many people have actually died in combat. At least 108 million people were killed in wars in the 20th century alone. 108 million people. Estimates for the total number killed in wars throughout all of human history range from 150 million to 1 billion people. It's estimated that 1 billion people have died in battle. War has lots of effects on population, including decreasing the birth rate by taking men from their wives. The reduced birth rate, excuse me, in World War II is estimated to have caused a population deficit of more than 20 million people. Can you gather that? How many people around the world dedicate their lives to conflict? The combined armed forces of the world have 21.3 million people serving. China has the largest uh, active military with 2.4 million people. America is second with 1.4 million. India has 1.3 million. North Korea has 1 million. And Russia has a standing army of 900,000. Of the world's 20 largest militaries, 14 are in developing countries. So how many wars are taking place right now on God's green earth? Well, at the beginning of 2003, there were 30 wars going on around the world. 30 wars. And I would think that here we are in 2019, I bet the number of conflicts has risen dramatically over those years. There were conflicts in Afghanistan, Algeria, China, Colombia, the Congo, India, Indonesia, Israel, Iraq, Libya, Liberia, Nigeria, Pakistan, Peru, the Philippines, Russia, Somalia, Sudan, and Uganda. And yet, Jesus offers us a new path. He offers us a different way. He he says, yes, in this world, you'll have trouble. You'll have trouble, but take heart. Take heart, for I have overcome the world. One of my favorite passages John 16, Jesus has come to bring you and me peace. He's come to deliver to your marriage peace. He's come to deliver to your working environment peace. He's come to deliver to this church peace. And to a world that is so dedicated 
killing each other and to a world that's so dedicated to living in conflict that of all recorded history, only 8% of recorded history has peace in it. To a world that's so dedicated in conflict, Isaiah introduces to us the Prince of Peace. And friends, this morning, I hope that as you engage in this Christmas season, that you will not lose sight of the reality of Christmas, that Jesus has come for us to be a wonderful counselor, that he's come uh, to be an everlasting father, and that he's come this morning to be the Prince of Peace. He doesn't want to just be Prince of Peace in, in this world at large, but he wants to be your Prince of Peace, to calm the storms in your life and to walk on the waves of your troubles. And this morning, I think Isaiah does a phenomenal job of introducing us to a coming king. And the last question I have for you this morning is this, and for me, as Isaiah has introduced Christ to us, how will you introduce Christ during this Christmas season? Would you bow your heads and pray with me this morning? Lord God, we come before you. We want to thank you for the words that are captured in Isaiah chapter 9 that Jesus is our wonderful counselor. He is our mighty God. He is our everlasting Father, and He is the Prince of Peace. Lord, we pray that in this world filled with war and dissension and conflict, that You will help us to be people of peace. Lord, help us to shine in the darkness for You. And Lord, if there's someone here this morning that does not know peace, could it be that it's because they don't know Christ? And maybe this morning that person would give their life to you. Lord, bless us now as we enter into a time of invitation. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in to today's podcast. And we hope to see you again on Sunday morning. Of course, you can also watch our services live on YouTube. Simply search Eastern Shore Baptist Church on YouTube, and at 10.05, our broadcast starts. We hope to see you soon. God bless you. And again, visit our website, www.myesbc.net. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.